environment in this country is broken. We work ourselves to death and miss out on so many of life's experiences along the way. There's got to be a better way. David Adams is a certified financial planner and CPA and founder of David Adams Wealth Group, an independent firm that offers securities through Raymond James Financial Services and is here to help you learn how to retire while you work and develop a different way of thinking when it comes to managing your money. Welcome, I'm your host, David Adams, and this is Retire While You Work on News Radio 1510 WLAC, and you can hear us every Sunday. And I'm here in studio today with one of my team members, Andrea Risk. Hello, Andrea. Hi, David. How's your weekend? It's been great. How about yours? Good, good. Excited about the show today. Well, good. We're going to have you reading some questions from our listeners in one of the following segments, and also have special guest in studio, Scott Augenbaum with the FBI. Scott. Hey, Dave. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Glad you're here. Nobody's in trouble, right? Not yet. (laughs) Okay. We'll try to stay... uh, behave today. That's the plan. And and Scott's going to actually talk to us after one of the breaks about cybersecurity and tips from the field on how to best protect your identity and information. So excited about that. You won't want to miss that. Um, Again, welcome. And I always like to start the show with why I do it and what the passion is behind the show. You know, there are a ton of these financial talk shows, but the entire purpose of the show is to find ways for you to enjoy your life right now and not at this destination called retirement, some predetermined age. I've been in this industry for 15 years, and I've witnessed so many 65-year-olds come into my office where they've just saved, saved, saved for years with no real direction, and they seem worn down. And, you know, people are living longer, and these days of working until 65 and hoping that you have enough money to last till maybe 85 or 90, it just doesn't work anymore. Things are changing And, you know, many people are taking second careers, they're starting businesses, finding ways to keep that income coming in, and to really keep their minds sharp and healthy, and their sense of community intact. They don't want to stop, because we all know that if you're not growing, we're dying. Now, maybe you do retire, and travel, and spend time with the family, and that's amazing. I'm just saying that the traditional sense of retirement is broken, where you work, and then you just stop. Now, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Retire While You Work, and I'm your host, David Adams. And this week, I wanted to give a few tips about the market, and uh, we can call it David's Soapbox, whatever you'd like, but I'm going to go on a, on a rant here for a minute, but hopefully it helps. You know, we have to learn how, as investors, to not spend our precious time worrying about the market, you know, whether it's the elections or Brexit or even Greece years ago, because at the end of the day, the market goes up and down based on one simple thing, and that's if companies and the economy are growing. It is that simple, I can assure you. You know, it's so hard because we get involved in the short term, you know, the timing game, if you will, and we lose sight of the big picture. And I know as a client and even myself being a financial advisor, it sounds like the best best excuse ever to keep saying invest for the long term, long term. Like we don't have any accountability as advisors. You know, if you keep losing money, um, that's fine because one day it's going to go back up. Meanwhile, I'm going to sit here and collect my fee. But that's not the case, at least of someone who is looking out for your plan And I would go as far as to argue that 95% of financial plans, and that's just my gut. I can't validate that stat, but stick with me here. 95% of plans get broken because of the market, not because of the market returns, but because of emotions like fear and greed. And that would be investor behavior. You know, maybe it's we're not making enough money like in 2013 
when the S&P was up 30% and we were only up 20. There's your greed kicking in. Or maybe it's fear like after 2008 when everyone was telling us that the Dow Jones was destined to continue falling to 3,000. And who would have thought it would have gone from the levels of 14,000 in 2007 down to six or 7,000 in 08 and 09 and back up to around 18,000 in 2016. It doesn't make sense. But doesn't it? I mean, if you think about it, I really think it makes sense. I mean, the market ended up growing basically from 2007 to 2016. Not, you know, great returns, but it grew at this slow, steady pace, which is pretty much in lockstep, in my opinion, with how the overall economy and companies were growing. So not amazingly fast, but plodding along. Now, the problem with this was not the returns. It was the path that it took to get there that made investors, and I can assure you, me as a financial advisor, nuts. I mean, it was a terrible ride. You know, think about a roller coaster at the fair. It starts at one place and it eventually, you hope, gets you to your destination. Unless, of course, you jump off or, in the stock market case, jump out of the market. But the ride feels awful. And there are some of us, of course, that maybe are adrenaline junkies and they love the thrill. But I can assure you that's not me. It's probably not you. And it's certainly not my retired parents who worry about this stuff all the time. Now, how does this all tie back, back into retire while you work and that mindset? And I would just say it like this, you know, worrying about things like the stock market can really rob us of happiness. And really, eventually, it makes us doubt everything, especially, especially something as sensitive as our money. So then how do we allow our planning and our financial planning that we do help this mindset of retire while you work? Well, you're always going to hear me talk about this thing called the bucket approach. And after 15 years, you know, I've tried to sound super smart by talking about alpha and beta Standard, devi- standard deviation and information ratios, all sorts of stuff when it comes to investing, thinking that if I showed as an advisor how smart I was, people would stick to the plan. And if I'm honest, that was likely me just in my 20s trying to mask some sort of insecurity of being young and wanting others to know that I was capable. And now that I'm so much older and so much wiser, right? Kidding. I've at, le- I've at least learned that the keep it simple, stupid approach works so much better. So whether I'm talking to my most technical of clients, the engineer, the doctor, which trust me, we, we earn every dollar in that scenario, I can assure you, or even the musicians who just want the high-level basics, you know, sometimes you have to go deeper for that left-brain client if you're wired that way. Now, we're about to take a break. I want to come back to this topic because I think it's important. But you've been listening to Retire While You Work on News Radio 1510 WLAC, and I'm your host, David Adams. And when we come back from break... We're going to continue this topic of retiring while you work and not worrying about the stock market, things you can do, and then take some questions, our top questions from our listeners from the week, back in a few. Welcome back to Retire While You Work. I'm your host, David Adams, on News Radio 1510 WLAC. And right before the break, we were talking about how Worrying about the stock market is just one of those things that can rob you of happiness and finding that retire-while-you-work mindset. And you know, I, was, I was discussing how sometimes if you're the left, more of the left-brain type and you're wired that way, you need some of these details. You need to understand what you're investing in. But you know, really just enough to make sure that your advisor is credible. And then I, I urge you that you have to stop at that point and really go into more of a, a trusting state and follow a plan because your time is so much better spent going into that annual review with your advisor 
and making sure that they're doing his or her job. And let's think about this. Just compare it to real estate, your house. So going back to the market and why it's a waste of time and and it robs happiness to worry about it. I mean, what if you saw the value of your house every single day? And let's say there was a ticker on your doorstep and you hosted an absolute auction and I was the only one that showed up that day. And maybe I offered you $200,000 for your home that you knew was worth 500000 Guess what? That day, it was worth $200,000. I was the only willing buyer. But would you sell it? And the answer is absolutely not. You'd, you'd tell me to beat it. And why is it different with the stock market and your investment plan? And I'll tell you why. It's because the values go up and down every single day, and they're plastered in front of your face all day long, and the media loves negativity, and they love to show chaos. Chaos sells. And, you know, when's the last time you turned on the news and you heard, you know, today was really a pretty boring day. It was nice outside. Things seem pretty good. Life is good. It's sunny out. Your money is fine. Enjoy the day. And that's it. Probably say never, right? So let me just encourage you again, and I'll do it over and over throughout the life of the show, if you'll let me, to turn off the noise and focus on what matters, your friends, your family, traveling, spiritual health, exercising, hobbies. It's so much easier to find happiness this way. And I'll tell you, I struggle with this because as as a financial advisor, so many times we have to wear the stress of our clients on our own backs. And, you know, I'm, I'm telling you not to do this because I and your financial advisors are doing this for you. And that's why they make therapists, right? And that's why therapists have their own therapist and on and on and on. So with that, I'll di- I, I will digress and I'll bring Andrea back with us. Andrea. Hey, David. Are you ready for some questions from yeah. our listeners? And, I'll, and, you know, we call this segment our top five compelling questions of the week. And every week I get these questions from you, the listeners, and other clients that come into our office. And the goal is to answer these really in ways that add value and help you towards that retire while you work mindset and not just give you some cookie cutter financial planning textbook answer so that we can check the box and move on. You know, we really have to ask ourselves, what is the greater purpose to managing our finances? You know, are we trying to, do we want $5 million in the bank or to travel more or to give away more money to charity? So with that being said, let's go to some questions and you can submit your questions anytime during the week by going to retirewhileyouwork.com and clicking the contact us button, button at the top of the screen. Andrea? All right. So the first question of our five compelling questions this week is, how much cash do we need in retirement? Okay. What's the cash to investment ratio that you recommend? Okay, that's a great question. And I do I get this one probably five times a week. Nearly every client that comes in, I can tell you. And you know, as always, this is one, it depends on everyone's specific situation, of course. But let's talk about some rules of thumb. Um you'll hear you hear me talk about buckets, and bucket one is that emergency fund. Everybody, everybody needs, whether you're working or retired three to six months of expenses in an emergency fund. And that's sitting there in cash um, for, you know, the car breaks down, you need new gutters on the roof. That needs to be outside of the financial plan. Now, if somebody is retired, you know, I like to, I like to keep this at about a year, ideally two years of supplemental cash for these income gaps. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's do an example. So let's say you need $100,000 to live on and to travel and you have in Social Security, and you're one of maybe the 1% of people that still have this uh, antiquated thing called a pension. So you have $60,000 of fixed income. So you need about $40,000 a year extra to meet your expenses. So I would say you need about two years of that gap. So you need $80,000 of cash 
plus your three to six months emergency fund. So that's just a good rule of thumb. Um, if you're just working and you're not close to retirement, that three to six months is probably enough. But also it should be any other expenses that you foresee in the next year or two. So if you want to put a deck on the house and that's $20,000, or if you know you're about to buy a car, we don't want money invested in the stock market that you plan on spending in the next couple of years. So um, also I'll say this, cash is king. We've heard it before, but think about it. In bad years like 2008, when the stock market's down and maybe you happen to, you know, it's a double whammy and you lose your job that year, or let's say you have health issues, or maybe you just want to have some cash on the sidelines to buy that dream house or lake house when the market dips. It's very, very important. And cash can be a great tool, but not when it's there out of fear. So when somebody's holding cash without a plan for it and just because they're scared of investing, that's not good because you're never going to be able to keep up with your spending needs and more than likely inflation. So shoving it in your mattress is not a good idea. That is a plan, but that's not a that's not a good plan. No, I mean you're probably more likely to have somebody come in your home and steal it or the house burn down than you are to to meet your goals. So, Got it. But that okay. is a that's a good question. Okay, so the next compelling question of the week, and I think this one's a really interesting one, and I know we get this a lot. Should we downsize, David? And if so, when should we downsize? Great question. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Retire While You Work. I'm your host, David Adams, and we get these questions each week, and I hope that they apply to you or you can get some sort of benefit out of them. And if not, you can submit your question directly to us at retirewhileyouwork.com and click the Contact Us button. So the question right now was about should we downsize our home, and if so, when? So this is one of those that is a personal decision because where you live is personal. It's one of the most personal things you can have, personal assets you can have. And, you know, always joke around, but it's true that personal finance is 80% personal and it's 20% finance. So never forget that. But, you know, the first thing you need to do when looking at the home is to really step back for a minute and identify how much money do you need in retirement to cover your expenses, like we talked about in the last question. And then if you're short on that amount that you need to spend in retirement, one option is to go and sell your house, downsize, and potentially free up that lump sum of cash to help supplement that plan. So that is one way. And maybe your expenses will go down by doing that. But Andrea, I know we've talked about this before. You know, that downsizing doesn't always mean cheaper, especially in Nashville where you have condos that can cost you a million and a half bucks, you know, and and maybe you're for 1,500 square feet and maybe your 5,000 square foot home is only a million dollars. By the way, who would have ever thought we would say only a, only a million? I know. When I was growing up, I remember a million dollar house was the house, the the oil money house on the show Dallas with the big white columns. <laughs> totally. That was a million dollar house. That was a mansion. Absolutely. Well, what, there was a group a few years ago. I mean, it wasn't even that long ago. It was in the nineties. Remember, bare naked ladies. If I right. had a million dollars, <laughs> that's right. I mean, <laughs> and that was a lot of money. I mean, it still is. It's all relative, but now it's. You know, if I if I had ten million dollars, right? Yeah, I was telling you the story earlier in the week. I, I had a, a neighbor from my old neighborhood who lived in a ten thousand square foot house and in, an enormous home, and their kids all went to college. And they said, you know what, we really want to take this opportunity to go live in the city, and so they moved into downtown Atlanta, and they live in an area that's highly walkable. They can walk everywhere. Great exercise, Absolutely. probably in the middle of all the energy. Yeah. And it didn't cost them remarkably less money because right. they're living in town. 
but they're loving their life as retired people. So I think that that's a huge part right. of that question, too. Well, it is. I mean, that's why you first got to have to decide, you know, where do you want to live? Is it in the city? Is it in a suburb? Do you value land, simplicity, high-end home with nice finishes? Do you want to live in the suburb or waterfront? You get the picture. And then compare that with what you need money-wise. So it cannot be just about the money. Um, you know, in, in, in your example of that client, I've seen that same example um, with a client that had a 5,000-square-foot home and ended up the same thing. They downsized, but it was about the same amount of money, but they were happy. And, you know, I love seeing them happy. This is why I'm so passionate about Retire While You Work and this show. These are stories, and these are people in my life, and it's so fulfilling to help people live in this mindset. So meet with your planner. A plan can provide the answer. And we're about to take a break. You've been tuning in to Retire While You Work on News Radio 1510 WLAC. And when we come back from the break, we're going to take some more of your questions of our top five most compelling questions of the week. Back in a few. Hello and welcome back to Retire While You Work. I'm your host, David Adams. And we are going on to some more of our top five most compelling questions of the week. And stay tuned. Our next segment you will not want to miss. We have our friend from the FBI. How many times do you say friend from the FBI? It's going to be a great (laughs) segment. Not very often. (laughs) Great segment about cybersecurity. So that's up next. But on to some more of our listeners' questions, Andrea. All right. So I think this one relates back to the one we just had um, before the break about whether or not people should downsize. I think it's all about lifestyle. And here's another question that I felt was one of our, our most compelling this week. What should my wife and I plan to do when we retire? Should we go to the municipal golf course or should we join a country club? Do we do early bird specials or four-star dinners? David, what am I supposed to do with all this money and how do we live? Well, these are are great questions and they all go back to, I think, what everything in life goes back to, which is trade-offs. Can't do it all and uh, you have to find things that you value. So if money is no object, again, I'd say do what you want to do. But assuming it is a factor like it is for most, again, it's about trade-offs. So what do you value? And I've seen people, gosh, Andrew, with $50 million that do everything high-end, and they don't even value or appreciate it and certainly necessarily enjoy it. And so you see that all the time. It just becomes so normal. Like, you know, I remember when we lived by the beach when I was in middle school, and then we really didn't go that much. So I think that's kind of something that happens in society. Um, So – You know, if you love food, back to that question, you know, I think you do the four-star restaurant, but maybe you do it once a month or once a week or whatever so that you really enjoy it and get to look forward to it. And and also you can afford it and it fits into the financial plan because you don't want it to be a stress point financially. No, absolutely not. You don't want that (laughs) that $100 steak to be the tipping point for the reason you're over budget for the month. Of course not. And I love a, I love an early bird Cracker Barrel meal like anybody else and also a good, you know, cane prime steak every so often. But if I ate that steak every week, I probably would be twice the size. And I guess that's the case with Cracker Barrel as well. So <laughs> well, yeah, but you, but you probably point. wouldn't enjoy it as much if you ate there every day or, you know, once a week. Right. Absolutely. So it's about what do you appreciate? And same thing with the country club part of the question, you know. Ask yourself, you know, are you joining the country club? Is it for status or for ego? Or is it because you enjoy golf or your family gets to use the tennis facilities and the pools? Or maybe you have community there. That's really important. So, again, it comes back to 
Are you going to use it? Do you value it? I see a lot of people make wasteful decisions because they think they're going to use it or they're living for tomorrow, like we've talked about before, and not for what they're going to do today and what their lifestyle is like. Got it. I think that's a great I think that's a great answer. I think people will get a lot out of that one. That makes a lot of sense to me. All right. So our next question this week, and this one I think is <laughs> this is really interesting, and I really am looking forward to your answer on this one. I'm looking forward to the question. How can the U.S. have almost $20 trillion in debt and the whole economy not implode? Our country's not in debt, is it? That's news <laughs> to me. I didn't know that. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, so let's let's hear it, David. Literally spoke to a country club just a couple months ago and had this exact same question. I had a room full of retirees, corporate um, executives. This was the number one question by far. So, you know, I think this goes back, you know, framing this with retire while you work. I cannot stress enough that worrying about things out of your control like the federal debt isn't healthy. Isn't healthy. Not only that, is it can't uh, it can't help with happiness. We know that. Um, but let's it is a valid question. It is definitely a concern. You know, somehow I've seen this for for years. I mean, I heard the same thing, Andrea, when uh, the debt was at 10 trillion and then it was when it was 16 trillion and now it's 20 trillion. And I'll have people come into my office and tell me, you know, 25 trillion, that's it. Once that happens, it's all um, you know, there's the aftershock. There was even a book written called Aftershock that basically hit on this point that once the government, we get to this debt level, it all ends. I mean, what does that even mean? What is it? You know, does that mean the dollar goes to zero? Does that mean the economy stops? But somehow as a country now, right, wrong or indifferent, the United States has figured out a way to kick the can down the road. And we've done it very, very well. And it works. I mean, until it doesn't. But, you know, whether it's you know the debt ceiling, we hear about the government's going to be shut down you know, tomorrow night at midnight, and then at 10 o'clock, Congress gets together and somehow they extend the debt ceiling or they make a decision that, again, kicks the can down the road. So I don't see $20 trillion or $25 trillion being, you know, the magic number that's going to send the economy over the edge. I mean, in fact, we had somebody actually, uh, one of our chief economists that made a great point. Um, I heard him speaking to a group of advisors that when you look at the debt levels and even the asset levels of our country, it doesn't factor in all of the parks and the land and all of these resources we have. I mean, what's the value of the United States if we sold the entire country and all of our all of the land and all of the parks, that sort of thing? So, what it really is twenty trillion really that daunting? I think that that I had never heard that before. That's fascinating. Yeah, we look at our you know our GDP and you know the money the the revenue we're bringing in through income taxes, but nobody talks about the assets that we have kind of off the books. So, you know, I don't know. Again, it, it keeps me up at night in some regards, but at the end of the day, this is just one of those things like worrying about if the stock market's going to fall like it did in two thousand and eight. It's unhealthy. It's un, it's not productive, and it robs you of happiness. Got it. All right, next question, and I I hear commercials about this a lot. I think a lot of people have, and you see things online about this a lot. So I, I can understand why we keep getting this question. And the question is, I keep hearing that the dollar is going to collapse and gold will be the next big thing. Oh, boy. Gold. David. Yes. Yeah. Let's, this is, let's talk about gold. This is not my first rodeo on this question. Um, and again, this is another fear-based question, right? If you think about it, a lot of these questions are based out of fear. Absolutely. Um, and we're hearing more of the fear questions and the greed questions lately, just with everything going on around the world, with you know whether it's terrorism or Brexit and things in the economy. But let's you know on to gold. 
if you think about it, at the end of the day, I mean, gold long term historically has been a pretty bad investment. And, it, you know, it's more of a timing the market kind of a trader's game. You know, so if you have, let's say, some fun money, the same kind of money you take to Vegas or you want to dabble in individual stocks and play the market, this this would go in that bucket, in your fun bucket. But as part of a um, a retirement plan and a diversified plan, I'm not a big fan of buying gold. But as far as the dollar collapsing, you know, do I think that that's going to ever happen? You can never say never. But is it likely? Heck no. And why? Because honestly, if the dollar collapses, why do, why do people go and think that gold is going to be the next commodity? I mean, at the end of the day, if the economy imploded and there was no economy, the dollar was worth nothing, you'd be better off with bottled water and, am, and ammo, right? Absolutely. I mean, right? I mean, that's... And I'm sure Scott here with the FBI could validate that. I mean, ammunition's going to go a lot farther than a bar of gold. I mean, what are you going to do? Hit somebody over the head with a, a bar of gold and, <laughs> and, and the chaos with the economy falling? So my point of that is not to make fun of the question because it is a very valid question. But it's it's just, again, it's a fear-based mindset. And gold needs to be looked at as any other investment or any other asset and not you know not something that you purchase because you think the dollar is going away. We have far greater problems if the dollar becomes worthless than do we have a bar of gold in the basement. Got it. All right. So we're going to squeeze in one super quick last question here. I know we're supposed to do five, but I have okay. one quick question for you, and okay. I know what the answer is going to be. Uh, David, do I really need a will? Great question. So first thing I'd say about that, a will or an estate plan, they, they really go together, kind of the same thing. A will is a part of an estate plan. But 70 to 75 percent of people do not have a will, and that includes those with $50 million and those with $50,000. It is unbelievable because, yes, it is very important, but it's not, it's not common practice. And no. what I've found, the, the reason so many people don't have a will is they say, you know, I'm not sure who I want to be the executor of my estate or the guardian for my eight-year-old. And so they don't know, so they put it off to the side. And they think, you know, once we once that becomes clear, we'll call our attorney and it doesn't happen. And then, God forbid, something happens to them and there's not a will. Now, the now the courts and the state are deciding who's going to who's going to watch over little Johnny. It's, it's sad. It happens all the time. Absolutely. And it happens to really prominent people. I mean, we've seen oh, yeah. cases in the last couple of years. James Gandolfini didn't have a will. Well, and Steve Steve McNair here, you know, in Nashville with the Titans, same same thing. Right. So, um, you know, a, a couple of things to add to that. Um, you you know, you, part of a basic estate plan, you want to get a will. You want to get a power of attorney for health care and also for your finances, typically a living will, um, and then maybe a trust depending on what your objectives are and if you want to kind of control when the kids will get the money, that sort of thing. So this is all part of a basic package. Absolutely get it done. Don't obsess over the details because you can always go back and change it later. And remember, don't be one of those 75% of people that do not have a will. And we're going to go to break. You're listening to Retire While You Work on News Radio 1510 WLAC. I'm your host, David Adams. And when we come back, we have special guests in studio from the FBI. That is right, from the FBI, folks. You do not want to miss this. We're going to talk about protecting your identities and your personal information. Back in a few. Welcome back to Retire While You Work. I'm your host, David Adams. And before the break, we were answering a few of our top five most compelling weekly questions. Just remember that you can submit those questions anytime during the week 
to retirewhileyouwork.com and click the Contact Us button in the top right corner. And now I am proud to introduce again our guest here in studio today, Scott Augenbaum with the FBI. Hello, Scott. Hey, Dave. Good to see you. Good to see you and a little scary, the FBI. Well, it's great to be here today, Dave. And, you know, I want to just pick up, you know, when you were talking before and you were talking about a lot of decisions are based on, based on fear. Yeah. I'm going to try really not to scare your audience today. Please don't. Please don't. That, that, that'd be great. We'd appreciate that. No, but we do, we do want to get some great um, things that we can do and tips of advice. And, you know, every week in our last segment, we like to bring on a guest who we think and we certainly hope can better help you get into that retire while you work mindset. So just take, you know, the goal being to take a little something off your plate so that you can enjoy life and make the most of your time. So we hope this segment um, lends well to that, uh, to that goal of the show. So again, Scott, let me, let me ask, uh, well, and the, and the good thing about Scott, we've actually, actually, we've done this before. Scott came and spoke to a group of about a hundred of my clients at a country club down the road. And believe it or not, he has a personality and he was actually funny. I think my clients were terrified somebody from the FBI was coming to speak. Don't don't tell anyone. This is just a discussion between me and you, right? Nobody else is going to listen to Nobody's this. Nobody's listening to this. Oh, no, good. This so, I can, so I can <laughs> come out of my tree. shell a little bit. That's yeah, good to yeah, know. This is not being recorded. Oh, you're, great. You're, you're good to go. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is something that obviously is a hot topic these days, protecting identity and your information. And, you know, what would you start off by saying on this topic? Well, first of all, Dave, thank you again for having me over here. Let me just tell you a little about myself. Yeah, I've been do. with the FBI. I've been an agent since 1995. Okay. 22 years ago, I started as an FBI agent. And if you would have asked me, what is the job description of an FBI agent in 1995? I would have said it's very, very easy to describe. There were bad people doing bad things to good people in my geographical area that I was responsible for, and I worked with state and local law enforcement, and I put bad guys in jail and made a difference within the community. And when I was 27 years old, it was an adrenaline-driven job. Oh, I can't imagine. Bank robberies, fugitives, drug cases, white-collar cases, every day was a new adventure. I've seen the movies. Yes. (laughs) I wish it was all that exciting. Today, if you would ask me to sum up my job description, I can do it in one sentence. I teach people how not to be the victim of cybercrime because I've been handling nothing more than cybercrime for the past 13 years and I've spent the past 10 years in Nashville. And I can boil down what I've learned in three main points. When the bad guys get into your system – right or they get into the bank accounts of the retirees, or they get into the small businesses or the nonprofit organizations, and they steal your stuff, the chances of me getting your stuff back are very, very challenging. Okay, so usually by the time you get that phone call, it's too late. It's way too late. Okay. The second element is the chances of me putting bad guys in jail are very, very challenging because crime is no longer a local problem. The adversaries that we are dealing with on a daily basis are located overseas. We're looking at transnational criminal enterprises from Eastern Europe. The Nigerians are back at it at a $3 billion a year scam. We're looking at nation states. Uh, We're looking at people that are far outside of our reach. So – We don't get your stuff back or it's very challenging. The chances of us putting bad guys in jail are really challenging. And the thing that drives me is 
90% of what I deal with on a regular basis could have easily been prevented. Now, when that's a large organization, I can deal with that a little better, but I can't tell you how many times I have to deal with a small business, a nonprofit, a school, or a retiree that has lost their entire life savings. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, it's absolutely heartbreaking. But 90%. That is that's incredible to me. Ninety percent of this could be prevented. Yeah. So to that point, I mean, what do we need to do? What do these listeners need to do? And all of us. Well, what I want to try to do is sum up a couple of basic things that occur in all of these cases, because unfortunately, the cases are no more sophisticated today than they were in 2006. And a majority of it comes down to people giving away their passwords, their username and password. Now, in the old days, the bad guys would trick us into it by doing what we call a phishing attack. So when the bad guy asks you for your username and password and date of birth and your social security number, if, Dave, if you got an email from your bank asking for that information, would you give up that information? To the bank? No, absolutely not. Of course not. I can explain that to my 10-year-old. Can I explain that to my mother? No. (laughs) Probably not. I bet I can explain that to my mother. (laughs) I really think that if I sit down with her and yell at her enough, she'll get it. But let me tell you what the bad guys are going to do. Right. The bad guys are going to send you an email and it's going to look like it's coming from your bank and it's going to say that there is a suspicious transaction and $1,500 is about to come out of your account unless you click on this link to go to the bank website or call the 1-800 number. And what happens? People will click on the links. When they click on the links, the bad guys redirect them to a website and then they will enter in that information. Or when they click on the link, it'll install a piece of malware on the computer and a malware steals your username and password And then the bad guys are able to install a keystroke logger on your computer and steal the username and password for your computer. This is what you mean by it's too late. I mean, your your value add is helping people understand how to be how to be a part of the 90 percent. Yeah. And what we try to do now within the FBI through our outreach programs is we're trying to educate the community based on our experiences and based on the root causes of a majority of the breaches. So the thing that I always tell people, we have to become a human firewall. We have to think before you click. No matter who sends you an email that has a link in it, you have to think about it. So when I got that email from Amazon during December, the last week, saying that my package has been delayed in shipping, what was my first instinct? To click on it because it's somebody's Christmas present, right? Absolutely. But when I took my cursor and I moved it over to link, it said www.alotofthings.ru. Is Amazon hosting a web server in Russia? No way. But that's the nature of, I mean, the the way things are today is that we're just in such a hurry that we'll we'll click without even... And the bad guys are taking advantage of that. They know that, of course. The other thing that we have to remember is we cannot use the same password for mission-critical accounts. Just recently, Yahoo had a breach and there were half a billion email accounts were compromised. So let's think about that for a second. Half a billion usernames and passwords. Let me ask you, if if I'm the bad guy and I take all of those emails, usernames and passwords, and I go to something such as www.icloud.com, how many of those accounts am I going to get into? Oh, a good percentage. 
And think about that. So what we can't have is the same password being used for our email as our bank account, as our iPhone account. We need to have separate passwords for our mission critical accounts. And you also mentioned in that seminar we did together about multi, is it multi-factor authentication. That's one of those ways to probably block 90% of Yes. Things, right? Multi-factor authentication is a tool that is provided by email providers such as Google and Microsoft Outlook. Facebook? Facebook. Okay. Yep. Your iCloud account. Right. Also LinkedIn. If you are working from home and log me in, it is something else that is besides a password. Because if the bad guy steals your username and password, they're going to log into your account. But if you go to the security settings of these available platforms, you can look for a place where you register that device. So whenever you log on from that device, you nothing ha- you're able to access it. But all of a sudden, if you're logging on from a separate device, you have to a text message will be sent to you with a random six digit code. Right. And that will block the bad guys from getting access to your email accounts, your financial accounts. Gotcha. Well something I've seen on, on this end of the desk is we've had a lot of these fraudsters that hack a client's email, let's say their Gmail account, and they'll send us as advisors an email saying, Hey, we need fifty thousand dollars. And, you know, in the past it was send it to um, you know, send it to Egypt or something, and you would catch it and know it's spam, but they're getting pretty creative. They're going through the emails. They're they're looking for that person's voice, and they'll email us and say, hey, David, great speaking to you the other day. Need $50,000. If you could just go ahead and wire it to XYZ Bank, that'd be great. And we know better because we know we always pick up the phone and call, but I've heard horror stories from other advisors where someone in their office you know, went ahead with the third-party wire and again, it's like to your point, it's hard to recover it unless you do it within about 24 hours or well, sure. no, five hours. But they're trying to offer good customer service, right? And right. so they're trying to get it done for these folks and they don't realize it's not them. But it's always the same thing. It's, okay, we need you to call. We have to call you to verify. Well, I'm, I'm you know, bad cell phone uh, coverage or I'm on a plane for the next 10 hours. I really need the money tomorrow. And you just have to know, pick up the phone and you call. But it's, 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 it's a real problem. Oh, it is. And that's why when I go out and I'm talking at the Rotary Clubs and I'm talking to your clients, I'm always telling them when your advisor makes it difficult for you and you get upset, there's only one reason your advisor does that, because he cares about you. Absolutely. Right. You know, one of the things that I've been seeing quite a bit is this business email compromise that we just spoke about. And one quick scenario happened to be when the chief financial officer of an organization had his Facebook account compromised. He used the same password for Facebook as he did his corporate email account. The bad guy was able to log into his corporate email account, read all of the emails that were going on, saw the business communications between the CFO and the controller – And saw that there was a really big business transaction about to take place. This is about to be a really bad day for the company, good day for the cyber criminal. And at the right moment in time, the cyber criminal purporting to be the CFO sends an email to the controller and says, instead of wire transferring the $6.7 million to HSBC Bank, send it to Barclays Bank. And when the controller got the email, what did the controller do? 
He sent it to Barclays. Yeah. He did her job. That is why we need to have business processes in place. Absolutely. No, these are great tips. Um, so it sounds like multiple passwords, multi-factor authentication on you know Facebook and Gmail, wherever it's available. And always call your financial advisor if you need money, especially if it's money that you need wired outside of your bank account. Very important things. Um, th- these are great tips. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for being here. Um, I know that uh, you provided me with uh, 15 tips, this document, that if you would like to receive, you can go to retirewhileyouwork.com and click Contact Us, and I will get that document over to you. And we'll have Scott back. At, at, we probably could have spent 45 minutes with Scott. Thanks again. That being said, that's the end of today's show. Thanks for tuning in, in with us today. And as always, if you need to reach me during the week, call us at 615-435-3644 or visit retirewhileyouwork.com and submit your question. By all means, come by our office. See us in the historic 12 South neighborhood. We'd love to see you during the week. I'm David Adams. Remember, life is short, and there are many more important things to worry about than money. And I certainly, certainly hope that this show helps. Talk with you soon. 